0: Our champion of farm tractors is going to be our guest speaker today. And so we're delighted to have David. Let's encourage David, shall we? One day I'll get there. With that in mind, let's begin today. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Now it's been a while since we've been in Colossians, and the main idea that, as I've approached every Sunday when I preach, is that Colossians, it's kind of a theme, there's an idea in there that Christ is preeminent, meaning that He is first and foremost in everything pertaining to life. He is the supreme leader of all creation, supreme leader of our faith, that is our Jesus Christ. He is preeminent first and foremost in everything pertaining to life. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians 21 verses 20 through 23 in chapter 1. It says this, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray. God, you've given us your word so that we can study it, that you can show us how to live. God, through your word, we get encouragement, we get conviction. But God, we see how worthy and how praise honoring God you are. fully are that you are full of all of our praise and worship. And so God, as you have given us the Holy Spirit, I pray that every one of us that indwells, God, those who are saved, that your Holy Spirit would be teaching us, showing us things in your word this morning so that as we walk away, we may be equipped and be better prepared children of God for this week so that we might encourage those and give grace to those who, who are in definite need of your word this week. So Jesus, I want to pray for us all in your name. Amen. I want to propose to you a question. What makes a movie or a TV show great? Is it the commercials and advertisements? Is it the comfy seat you get to sit in as you watch the movie or a TV show? Maybe it's your lazy boy or your couch. Is it the type of genre? Is that what makes really a movie great? Maybe for some. Is it a certain actor or actress that makes the TV show or a movie great? Is it the snacks you get to eat as you watch the movie or TV show? Is it a company that you get to spend with, the time with them, that makes the movie, the entertainment great? Is it the experience of going to the movie theaters, the smell of the popcorn, the previews, the surround sound, the big screen? Is that what makes a movie great? We will answer that question here in a little bit. But to help us better understand the text today, let's all flip to Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 this will help us better understand these three verses in Colossians this morning. As you're churning there, I want you to remember something. Paul wrote Colossians as well as Romans. And in Romans, he lays out this very nice, systematized book through the Holy Spirit. And the first three chapters, we're going to cover a couple of verses in, the, in chapter 3, the first three chapters deal with sin. Paul lays out this argument that whether you're Jew or Gentile, everyone has sinned. So with that in mind, let's start in verse 10 of chapter 3. It says this, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways in the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul is laying out this argument that no matter how good you think you are, no matter how righteous you think you are, whether Jew or Gentile, we are all sinners. Now you could say the first three chapters of Romans can be summed up into one verse: Romans 3:23. For all have sinned. And have fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, because everyone has sinned. And it's just not that some of us or some of our parts are sinful, rather, every one of us, every part of our being is sinful, has been affected by sin. Our intellects have been affected by sin. Our emotions have been affected by sin. Our desires have been affected by sin. Our hearts have been affected by sin. Our goals have been affected by sin. Our motives have been affected by sin. Even our physical bodies have been affected by sin. Sin has completely skewed the way in which we talk, the way we see, hear think, and even eat. Sin has broken mankind. Everyone has broken the laws of God, the commands of God. We are fallen beings compared to an infinite, holy, matchless, eternal God. We all have missed the mark in our sin. It has broken the world in which God had created. Our sin has broken the relationship God had planned when he created the world. Our works and deeds Even when we do good ones, they are like filthy rags in front of an eternal, perfect, holy God. And there is nothing we can do to fix this gap we have created. The division that we as humans, that our sin, that division that our sin has created. There is not a single one of us who does good. There is not a single one of us who is righteous. There is not even a single one of us who is somewhat good or somewhat righteous This is the reality of all mankind. This is the position of all mankind. Sinners in need of a savior. You can flip back to Colossians now. As you're doing that, let's think back to that original question I proposed to you. What makes a movie great? A TV show great? Was it the actors? The snacks? The company? The genre? Now that could all be different to every one of us. But all the greatest movies to separate themselves from the average movies, have a thought out, have methodically worked it out, and have perfected the idea known as a plot twist. See, a plot twist separates great movies from just average movies. See, the most popular and profitable franchise, movie franchise of all time, Star Wars, executed one of the most well-done and popular plot twists ever created. In 1980... Maybe some of you saw it in theaters or saw it on TV or haven't seen it it at all. But in the episode number five or movie number five, in The Empire Strikes Back, at the end of the movie, we see the greatest enemy maybe in the entire movie world, Darth Vader. They're up in Cloud City. He lends a helping hand out to a hero in need, Luke Skywalker, that he just fought and won. Darth Vader not only reached out physically to help this enemy or hero in our eyes, Luke Skywalker, to help him out. But Darth Vader reached out verbally as well. His words reveals a truth that changes Darth Vader's and Luke's relationship forever. Darth Vader said these five words, Luke, I am your father. Those five words completely sunk Luke, Luke's heart. It left the audience captivated and shocked. And awe and wonder, what's happening? What we see is that Luke's most hated individual in the entire universe, Darth Vader, his arch enemy, turned out to be his father. It was a perfect, perfectly executed plot twist. So let me connect it. It says this in Colossians verse 21, that we were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Basically, we were at war against the kingdom of God. God was our enemy, because remember, none of us does good. No one is righteous. We can all agree that we have broken the laws and commands of God. We were enemies of God. We were children of wrath. We deserve to be crushed and judged by God. And I think we all can agree that we deserve not only death, but hell itself. Plot twist. Verse 22, Jesus, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. God, the creator of life, the creator of earth, the creator of our faith, brought the greatest plot twist ever displayed. God did not alter our lives with five words like Darth Vader did to his son Luke, but instead God changed, altered mankind forever by one act sending his son, Jesus, to Calvary on the behalf of our sins and to restore us back to God. Jesus not only saved us from our sins, but his death was to permanently fix our relationship with God that we broke. To reconcile man back to God was what Jesus did, to restore the positional relationship between man and God, to bring the relationship between man and God similarly what it was like in Eden. Sinners can now be saved and have a relationship with God. That's the greatest plot twist to ever happen because we are at peace with God forevermore. But let's look specifically at how Jesus brought this peace between man and God and how we are at peace with God forevermore. Let's again look at verse 22. It says this, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, why? In order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. Let's define this word "reconciled." I'm going to give you two definitions and two examples to help illustrate this. The first example is what I'm going to call limited reconciliation. For example, when you're married, one man, one woman, husband and wife, or it even can be relationships, you know, friends, co-workers. But when a married couple gets into a fight, right? It's usually the women who are wrong. I mean, the men. The men. There we go. The men. Woo! I don't want to. I don't want to get myself in trouble there. I don't want to get myself. My bad. It's the men who are wrong. So usually, right? The men is called the offender, and the wife is called. I don't know if this is a word. I'm going to use the offendee, the hurt party, and the man is the offender. So in this example, in a marriage, right? The man has done, said, or hurt his wife in a way that has kind of put a friction in the relationship. Usually what happens, it is the offender's job to initiate the reconciliation and apologize. And when that happens, they are now reconciled again. See what happens during reconciliation. The enmity and strife that exists in the relationship is gone. That's what reconciliation means. But let's look at the second example of what I'm going to call unlimited reconciliation. This doesn't happen between man and And wife, but instead, this can only occur between man and God. See, we were the offenders, and God was the offendee. See, we offended God. We hurt God because of our sin, because God is holy. Sin is the opposite of who God is. See, our wages, our sin, our debt that we have done, it has caused this enmity and strife to break us apart, to break our relationship with God. But where this is different than the first example is that where the man, the husband, would have to reach out and initiate reconciliation with his wife. That doesn't happen with God. See, through Jesus, God, the hurt party, He was the one who reached out, initiated reconciliation. He initiated reconciliation through his son, Jesus Christ. See, God did all the work. That's a plot twist. See, enmity and strife can come between a man and a woman, husband and wife, friends. That enmity and strife, anger, friction, whatever you want to call it, can come back between any time with two human beings, but not between God and us anymore. What Jesus did was not only remove that enmity and strife, that friction because that our sin created, but he got rid of it completely. He obliterated that enmity and strife and gave it no place ever to return. Enmity and strife can no longer exist between God and his children. We are at peace with God forevermore. What we see is that the death of Jesus at the cross of Calvary permanently fixed our relationship with God. His death then affects all men, but instead those who are saved. Believers in Jesus Christ, those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and save them from their sins. Those are the ones whose relationship is restored back with God. See, our, our sin is a debt towards God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Our work, our sin, has resulted in death. And it would result in hell if it was not taken care of. Back in the Old Testament, and all mankind specifically, you are saved by faith. But back in the Old Testaments, when you read about all the sacrifices that were happening and taking place, it was for the people's sins. It was the way in which people's sins were partially covered or partially atoned for, before God. It was the way in which people's sins were covered. See, the person's consequence of sin was gone, but because the sacrifice was an imperfect animal, as a, for example, a regular lamb, the animal's sacrifice wasn't fully able to deal with our sin eternally. Our sin wasn't fully dealt with until the death of Jesus Christ. We see that at the end of Romans chapter 3. Let me compare this. For example, a regular lamb and the holy, perfect, spotless lamb, Jesus Christ. See, a regular lamb only live for a certain amount of time, while the perfect, spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, lives from eternity past and will live from eternity future. There is no time with God. See, the regular lamb, just a regular lamb, is a part of creation, while the perfect, holy, spotless lamb is the creator. The regular lamb that you find out in the pasture is just a finite being, while the holy, perfect, spotless lamb is infinite. The regular lamb is simply just an animal, while the perfect, holy, spotless lamb is the great I am. That's why Jesus's death could pay for the sins of mankind, because Jesus was our propitiation, which means to appease God's wrath, to satisfy God's wrath completely. Now, a regular lamb that you'd find out in the fields can never do that, even if it didn't have any markings on it. A perfect blemish, no blemishes, nothing on the lamb. He can never do that. But Jesus, a perfect infinite holy spotless slam could and jesus did just that jesus is the only being ever to be able to fully appease god's wrath on humans that's how jesus reconciled us to god being the propitiations of our sin he did that all through his body of flesh by his death of what we see in verse 22 Let's take a look at our position before God now. See, before we were saved, we were alienated. Enemies of God, right? We see that in verse 21 in Romans chapter 3. But once we get saved, once we get reconciled back to God, what happens now? What's our position before God now? We see the answers in verses 22 and 23. It says this, starting in the middle of verse 22. Jesus died in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the go- the hope of the gospel that you heard we see three specific words of our position before God holy blameless and above reproach let me use an illustration to better help help us understand this think back in society let's say around the dark ages Your position in the local society dictated how you were treated by not only the king, but how you were dictated and treated by the society, everyone around you. For example, let's say you were a slave. Most people would refer to the slave not by personal name, but rather as just a slave. You had no personal name. You were often used in a, as a bargaining chip like livestock. You were spit on, beat up if you didn't obey. Frankly, if you were an awful slave, the owner had the legal rights to take your life. Slaves were on the lowest end of the totem pole. That was their position. They were under constant judgment and wrath of their owner and king. But let's think of the king's children. What about them? What we would see is that they were treated with the utmost honor. They were respected. They were royal. They were under the judgment of the king, but to a lesser degree. They had chastisement instead of wrath. The king's children were in the second highest position in the local society. That position brought the children many riches that can never be earned in any other position. But let's think back to God and us. What's our position? There's two positions humans can have before God, a sinner and saints, or to connect with the example, a slave and a children of the king. Before God, there's only two positions, sinner, slave, or saints and children of the king. The position of a sinner before God is one who's under the direct judgment and wrath of God and on the road of eternal separation before God. But then there are the saints the children of the king, those who have placed their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. See what Jesus did was remove that debt was on their that was on their accounts. Now the position of a children of a, of a king of a saint. What we see is holy, blameless, and above reproach. Those are the children of God. And see, as a children of God, as myself or as you guys, we obtain riches in our position that a sinner or a slave can never attain because of the death of Jesus Christ. Because of the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is our atonement, our sacrifice sacrifice of sins because we are at peace with God forevermore. That is grace. But let's move on to verse 23. It says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the gospel, the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now, when you read that, it kind of sounds like we could lose this position before God, only if we continue in the faith. That's what it seems like when you read it. So we have a problem here. Now when you have a problem or a question in scripture, when you're reading and you come across, you shouldn't just overlook it and ignore it. You should approach the throne of grace and study and search out what's happening here. What you find out is that this idea, this sentence that's happening is a Greek conditional statement. Meaning the idea of verse 23 of continuing in the faith, stable and steadfast. The writer, author, Paul, is assuming that we will do that, continuing the faith stable and steadfast, not if. So we could read this verse not as if you continue, but let's read it like this or when you continue in the faith stable and steadfast. So what we learn is that this verse is not only referring to our position before God, but that's also talking about our practice of the things. Of God. See, our position should motivate our practice to do the things of God. The grace of God that God has shown, the grace that Jesus displayed on the cross, should motivate us to do the things of God. See, our position of being holy, blameless, and above reproach should motivate us to serve God because of the grace and mercy He has shown. See, we don't deserve to be holy, blameless and above reproach. We don't deserve heaven, but God, being rich in mercy, he first loved us, he gave us, demonstrated us grace, demonstrated us unconditional love. Why? So we could do the same for others. So we could do the same for our neighbors. To demonstrate unconditional love, and to demonstrate grace and peace to a world that is lost and needs salvation and reconciliation. And this is what it says at the end of verse 23. Paul says that the gospel, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul was an ambassador, a minister of this message, the gospel, this message of reconciliation. This message was not only given to the apostles, not only to Paul, but to all the church. It was given to you guys. It was given to me. And it's now our job, church. It's our ministry to promote this message of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then it goes on and it says in verse 20 that we are now ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What we see is that we are to herald this news of reconciliation and of salvation. We are to bring this message of peace to a very unpeaceful world. As the world is crying out for peace, we have the answer, Jesus Christ. There is no better news of being at peace than with God. In a day and age where people are crying out for peace unlike ever before, we see school shootings, we see wars, we see strong divisions, not only in our countries, not only in our families, not only but in our churches as well. Church, no philosophy, no idea, no human being is ever gonna answer is gonna be the answer to this problem. People will try to make peace to happen, but it will fail. There is only one who can make peace, who can make peace forevermore. That's only Jesus Christ. That's why church, that's why you, that's why I, that's why we got to spread this message of reconciliation, of peace, this message of salvation. We are all ambassadors of this message, of this message of grace because we are at peace with God forevermore. But i got to ask you two questions. First question, how's your practice? How's your practice of the things of God? Are you on a daily basis focusing on the things of God? Or are you more focused on the things of Facebook or work or TV or sports rather than the things of God? Are you more focused on a Super Bowl or the salvation of your neighbors? How is your practice does it, what, does it look like what we see in Scripture as a child of God? Or does our practice look like what we see on the news and on social media? How's your practice? Your practice will be dictated based on what your purpose is. Is your primary purpose on the things of God or the things of earth? Second question, how good of a job are you doing at being an ambassador for Christ? See, an ambassador is one who heralds his news or her news for their country and is a representative for his or her country. So when you go to work, when you go to school, when you're doing your hobbies, when you're at home, what news are you heralding? What news are you showing? What purpose in life are you representing? Are you an ambassador for Christ? Or your favorite team while you're at work? Are you representing Christ or materialism when you're at home with your family and friends? In these last two weeks, what are you more of an ambassador for? Your favorite sports team for or against the second amendments? Or your favorite show or for Jesus Christ? I think what we soon find out is that in our sinful side, and a lot of us are like this, is that we prefer to only be a part-time ambassador for Christ rather than a full-time ambassador for Christ. We tend to only be an ambassador for Christ when it's convenience, not when it's convicting. See, God commands us to be full-time ambassadors of the gospel at work, at home, at church, at the store, even on vacation. What kind of ambassador for Christ are you going to be this week? a part-time ambassador or a full-time ambassador of this gospel, of this message of reconciliation and salvation. But grace, when we mess up, God's grace is there to catch us. Grace, when we are continuing in the faith, grace holds us up and strengthens us. Grace is because of God's grace. We get to share this message of reconciliation and salvation and of hope with others but because of this all-encompassing grace, but because of this all-sufficient grace, this infinite grace, this grace that led Jesus Christ to die on the behalf of our mistakes, of our sins, this grace allows his children to be at peace with him forevermore. Let's pray. God, I am so glad that you have saved us from our sins, that you sent Jesus to die on our behalf, to save us from our sins. And now, God, we get to be at peace with you forevermore. We get to be in heaven with you, get to spend eternity with you forevermore. God, as we go out, I pray that your Holy Spirit would strengthen us, your grace would uphold us, and I know it will, to share this message of reconciliation to a lost world. God, you are good, you are almighty, you're all powerful, and I wanna pray for us all in your name, amen.